Welcome to It's Broadway, bitch. I'm Alana. I'm the Broadway. I'm Christina. I'm the bitch. This is a podcast where I, Alana, the theater expert, explain the plot of a musical to Christina, the willfully ignorant. Christina will weigh in on her initial thoughts. Then we'll go watch the musical with varying degrees of sobriety. We then reconvene and Christina gives us the hot take. Welcome back to It's Broadway, bitch. Before we get started with today's episode, some good dad energy from me yes please dad of the day dad of the day um so you have seen me before but for those of you listening i wear glasses (laughs) i have indeed seen you before you have um i'm not like blind as a bat but i'm nearly there (laughs) and also like there is a risk of macular degeneration in my family and so i take eye health very seriously so i have to wear sunglasses every time i go outside i want to protect my eyes but i'm too cheap to get (laughs) prescription sunglasses well also prescription sunglasses are expensive as fuck they are i i wear contacts quite often especially in like the rona times i like wearing glasses and a face mask is a recipe for disaster and i ride my bike often so like often i will just wear contacts but i was like you know non-prescription glasses are totally fine over contacts and also i put them on as a second pair of glasses on top of my glasses (laughs) that's my favorite thing to do double glasses double glasses that's not even the dad energy about this (laughs) i recently bought four pairs of polarized sunglasses from an online retailer and uh i specifically we got them because I always forget sunglasses as well, but I feel bad every time I do. So I bought four pairs so that I can have some in my car. I can have two pairs in my car, one in my purse and one near the door. And That's some very bad energy. Of, yeah. And Matt also like does the thing with the sunglasses. So like the reason for two in the car is because we're constantly fighting over sunglasses. <laughs> so I have them all and none of them are where they're supposed to be. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um... <laughs> So that's my daddest thing recently. <laughs> that's very dad. That's Thank some you. good dad. Thank you. Thanks. Do you have anything dad or do we want to move forward? I can never think of anything when it's time. It's hard to be a dad on demand. But I know that as someone with a dad, um, <laughs> I do, I, I know that I do things that are dad because yeah. I have one <laughs> whom I see uh, often. We are simultaneous hermaphroditic parents to each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, like banana slugs. I am also your father. Um, I'm your father. You are also I'm my also father. Mother. Yeah, and we're each other's mothers and as also- well. <laughs> You're my mother and my daughter. And my father. <laughs> All of those things are accurate and true. <laughs> Woo! Good start. Strong start. I think- I think maybe if I can potentially add this in, you and I do something that's very dad at each other, which is um, every like 10 seconds. And you did that to me last night where I I was like, <laughs> uh, we did a Britney Spears, uh, what is it? Sing Circus? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started it and I was work. like, I started it with like something funny. And I was like, this could be a Britney Spears song, but I don't know if she's going to get it. And then you got it immediately, just so fast. You were on that Britney shit. I was ready. I was so excited. Well, you know, um, our Lord and Savior, Britney Spears, is sort of the namesake of this podcast. It's true. So she's wildly I'm... important to both us as creators and us as people. You yes. Know? 
She Very is, important. We should have an entire Britney-themed episode. Um, we should do, like, Crossroads or something. We should get her on the podcast. Oh, my God. She would love that. I, I think that Britney Spears, the pop queen. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you heard about uh, Once Upon a One More Time? Have, you, have I told you about that? No, I have no idea what that is. Um, it was a Broadway show that was supposed to open this season. I don't know when it will open. But it is the Britney Spears jukebox musical. But it's not like, there's like a trend that's been happening where the jukebox musicals have been like biographical stories about the person, like the Tina Turner musical, the Donna Summer musical that all just happened. Uh, But this one is more Mamma Mia, where it's like an external story that involves the songs. But it is, it's like Disney princesses who like come out of the books and are like, we deserve better than the endings we got in this book. I love that. And they rewrite their story to the music of Britney Spears. Oh, Britney Bliss. Britney Bliss, everything. Oh my God. God. I'm so upset that it's not happening right now, but it was slated. It'll probably come, whenever Broadway comes back, it'll come back. Oh, listeners, get ready. I'm so excited. I literally have goosebumps. There's also an air conditioner. Like, (laughs) literally. (laughs) But but I'm so ready because Britney is very formative for my childhood, and I imagine for you as well. Wow, I can't believe that we went 10 episodes without me ever mentioning Once Upon a One More Time. I have a couple of loose acquaintances that auditioned for it, actually. I don't believe Uh, that they got it. We should absolutely interview them. Okay, so this week, what are we doing, Alana? I know that you're excited for this one. We've sort of dabbled this season in both the well-known works and like some of the more obscure ones. Uh, This one's a classic. We are bringing it back to the classics. We are doing good old Phantom of the Opera today by our man, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I know exactly how you're going to feel about this. Um, (laughs) I know exactly Uh, how you're going to feel about this show in particular and also all Andrew Lloyd Webber shows in general. (laughs) When we become like rich and famous and like we're going to have to create a playlist on our website that's just like grouped by composer. I I love that idea. Oh, I love like composer studies, playwright studies. I love doing that. You can see the themes. You can sort of get a handle of their specific styles. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber sure has a style. He sure has one. Tell me everything that you think I'm going to think about this. I'm so excited. (laughs) So my boy, Andrew, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, he's not one to like, (laughs) how you say, uh, properly flush out a plot. Oh, excellent. My least favorite thing. (laughs) Many of his shows are very long and don't need to be and have a lot of parts where you're like, you can't see, but I'm throwing my hands up in exasperation. Um, He also has a wonderful knack of writing any show at any time period. You know, he could have written it yesterday. He could have written it 30 years ago. Um, It could take, the setting of the musical could take place at any time. And yet it it always sounds like it's rooted square in the 80s. Like, (laughs) for some reason, (laughs) he can take a show like Phantom of the Opera, which granted it was written in the 80s, um, a show that takes place in like, old timey Paris and you're like yeah this is a show in the American 80s you know like supposed to be in Paris oh okay oh it's super French very Um, French can I interrupt you with like a couple quick stories absolutely so my word association for Phantom of the Opera is two things one Drake and Josh had a a Phantom of the theater episode I'm so confident in that I haven't seen it since I was probably like 13 but I'm so confident because they work in a movie theater and there's like an entire episode that's like Phantom of the Opera like spoof and then the other thing I have to say is technically I have seen this but because we we texted like a little bit about my options 
Um, you didn't tell me that this was definitively going to be today's. So you told me it was like on the list. You were excited for me to yeah. see it at some point. I saw it when I was 12 years old. Some movie version. I have very little memory of it. I remember hating it so much. And I saw it because one of my good friends at the time loved it. And she was like, you're gonna have to watch it. It's so excellent. And I just remember I was in a, like, this very dad energy. I was in like a leather recliner. And I just leaned back and I was like, I wish I could take a nap right now. But the music is so annoying. <laughs> that I can't sleep. I watched this in, like the middle of an afternoon. <laughs> and then the two other notes that I have is that Christina, my housemate, see money has mentioned several times that she loves Phantom of the Opera. Like, she loves it, which doesn't track with any of the other tastes that she's had for any of the things that we've watched so far. So it always surprises me. That's very interesting. She has, like, some nostalgic connection to it, but she's, like, mentioned it several times that she's really excited for us to do Phantom of the Opera because she loves Phantom of the Opera. And Matt knows the music from it, which, like, I don't even know. Like, I know that it, technically I saw one, it once and I was not impressed as a 12-year-old. So I also have a very nostalgic connection to it in the way mm -hmm. that when I was a very young child, my parents also have, they like musicals too. Like, they didn't anticipate having children in theater, but they liked, you know, the shows that are quote-unquote, like, basic. Like, you've got, like, Les Mis, you've got Rent, you've got Fan of the Opera, like, some of the big classics that Wicked, like, ones that ever, people have heard of. Yes. You're probably familiar with a few songs you've heard about it because they're so prevalent in, like, pop culture. Uh -huh. And I remember being extremely young, and the two that my parents liked a lot were Les Miserables and Fan of the Opera. And those were the ones that they would play a lot. And so those were the two musicals that, from a very young age, I knew all of the music just because it was always on without me knowing the plot of anything. Especially because, you know, like, Fan of the Opera has some sketchy content. Uh, Les Mis has some very sketchy content. They're straight up, like, songs that, <laughs> yeah. like, the prostitutes sing. But I have, like, very clear memories of being, like, six, seven, eight years old, hearing the music, having friends over, listening to the music, singing the music, singing the words, and having no concept of what they meant. And then I would be, like, 12, 13, and then we would go see them, and it would, like, my little brain would explode because... Both of those shows are pretty long and pretty dense and pretty complicated and hard to grasp. Yeah, um, especially with concepts that you haven't even begun to tackle as like a 12-year-old. Yeah, um, but I do remember every Halloween, uh, we've stopped doing it as of late now that I'm like an adult. Every Halloween, we would blast the overture. My parents would blast the overture if I know the opera, just like to play <laughs> as trick-or-treaters came and to just like play the whole day because it's like spooky sounding, but like... Yeah. you know nerdy so like it's scooby-doo haunted mansion exactly like, yeah um so it's just one of those shows that you know i hear the music and it just like hits something not because i'm like ah, it's beautiful and it's so good and so perfectly written just because it is in my brain from a long time ago you know <laughs> why are you laughing so hard <laughs> <laughs> the equivalent of that for me is aretha franklin and britney spears <laughs> well the equivalent, like, I have that, and I also have, like, certain songs by Elton John. It's why I have, like, yes. a big old boner for Elton John is because of that same sort of thing, where I've just yes. been listening to it since I was a very small child before I knew what it meant, and now when I hear it, it just invokes something from my youth, you know? Um, something that Matt mentioned that, like, I just did not know because I don't care that much about anything, but specifically artists, is that Elton John wrote the music, a lot of the music for um, The Lion King. Sure did. 
which I know is one of your all-time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Why could that be, that I suppose? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a movie that I specifically care 0% about. Like, I like a lot of the music, and I had to sing it a lot of choirs, and I think it's catchy, but, like, watching it the whole way through, power structures never made sense to me as a child, because I was like, this isn't logical. Why wouldn't people compromise? Which is hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then that was like, oh, yes, power structures don't make sense to you especially for a pride, which is all about a power structure. <laughs> it was like, I couldn't think outside of the human race when I was three years old. So how you. dare you? <laughs> uh, Can you just like open your mind for like one second? <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't anyone compromise? Why would you want to be the king? Then you have to be in charge of everything. You don't get to be, have fun. You, don't you said all that when stuff. you were three. I said all of that. It's <laughs> um, very insightful. <laughs> I, why don't we all just like sit around and compromise? Like I don't understand why there's gotta be a whole, <laughs> whole back and forth and then here. Immediately after saying that, I would like have a knockdown fight with my sister. I was like, "You cannot use my hairbrush." <laughs> like I let's just all like get together over like a round of juice boxes and just like hash it Listen, out. You know, <laughs> I give you gushers. You give me your foot. <laughs> give you fruit listen on a scale of one to ten fruit roll-ups are the number no not one to ten one to three one being the best three being the worst it's it absolutely goes fruit roll-ups which are the ones that like are are square then it goes gushers and then it goes fruit by the foot and you can fight me if you just i like how we're proposing like a bartering system of fruit snacks for the literal throne of africa and the animal kingdom <laughs> <laughs> look for my gushers and my fruit by the foot you, I'll, I'll give you that if you let me be king. Like how, <laughs> we Gucci, we good? I <laughs> Throw in your baby bottle pop. <laughs> Call it a day. Oh. So, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, Phantom of the Opera. I do have the Wikipedia page here, just to sort of consult. Because while I'm extremely familiar with the music, the plot, I get fuzzy on. Because there's a lot that happens. I know the general sense. We will be watching the 2004 movie that stars Emmy Rossum from Shameless and uh, Gerard Butler. <laughs> I can't think of who, it, I don't know who the name Emmy Rossum, so I'm going to need you to name the character from Shameless. Fiona. Got it. The one with no shame. That's the one. And I believe the main guy, uh, Raoul, is Patrick Wilson, that guy, who was a guy whose face you will recognize. Okay. Is he like in things. He's like, in, stuff? I, I can't name things because That's he's fine. just like in every rom-com you've ever seen. Great. I'm excited. You'll, you'll know the face for sure. I'll it's tell like, you and I'll be like, I know that face. And then you'll be like, yeah, I knew you would. And I'll be like, well, I did. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> as far as movie musicals go, it's a pretty decent adaptation. They picked people who are more actors than singers, but they all are passable. I know that you probably won't listen to the soundtrack, but you should listen to the soundtrack just to hear Michael Crawford, who was the original Phantom, sing it because chef's kiss so good but i can't find a legal production that includes him or like classically trained singers although emmy rossum is a classically trained opera singer like they all do okay it's a pretty like i don't feel bad about showing you the movie version it pretty much holds up so fan of the opera the plot it's very long so we start we're in france at some time it's like old-timey france it's old-timey france before there are like phones and stuff and they travel by like horse and buggy and there might be cars i don't i'm fuzzy yeah no i got you it's old timey times it's old timey time france yeah yeah and we start in an old opera house and there's an auction and they're selling shit and there's like old stuffy people there and one of the things that is on auction there's like a motif that happens in the show with like a music box 
and it's one of the threads of the plot that like i think was supposed to go somewhere and doesn't actually go anywhere but there's like some sort of monkey music box and the auctioneer is like yeah this is a box that was like once important to somebody as all things were <laughs> and then the other item that they're auctioning off is this big old broken chandelier and the auctioneer is like yeah this chandelier is important because back when this opera house was like a functioning opera house there was this like weird guy called the Phantom of the Opera and his whole thing was like this chandelier and he'd like drop it on people. Let's take a look. And then the big like da, 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 overture starts and uh, we like flash back to like older timey time France back to when the opera house was like beautiful and functioning. Um, I hate this already. <laughs> I already am Good. like just not on board. <laughs> uh, this feels, you know how like serial killers paint in prison and then they sell those paintings? That feels equivalent to that chandelier. Literally what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, I it's, guess. <laughs> I guess it's like that. <laughs> I didn't know that you didn't know that. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's like a thing. It's like a thing that I'm pretty sure it's like Ed Gein, Ted Bundy, like a whole bunch of them. They get once they get to prison, they start painting because what else are you gonna do? And then they auction those off and they sell for a lot of money. I'm not really in that particular market. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be why I'm unaware. I've never sought that out. I'm not much of like an art collector anyway. I'm not going to say anything because I'd like to maintain the illusion. Um, yes, I do have uh, a Bundy hanging up in my house. Uh, no, we don't support serial killers. <laughs> We're like not super into that. No, just not, yeah. Can't support problematic people. So I found on the opera. Um, so we do the overture. There's a beautiful spectacle if you ever like watch it in theaters where there's often a lot of like they have the actual chandelier and they rise it up and it hangs out. It's very beautiful and cool. Um, lots of cool mechanics um, as a stage manager. That sort of stuff appeals to me. So we jump back to, I don't know, probably like 20 years prior when all of this is happening. Um, the opera house is uh, working. There's people in it and they do operas, which is cool and tight. There are two dudes who have just started. They have taken over ownership of the company. I don't know their names, but they're like nice French names. They took it over from some like old guy and they oversee a rehearsal for an opera that they're doing starring a chick named Carlotta who's like their star of the time and she's like a big old diva she like kind of sucks and she is they're, they're singing and they're doing like a big production number when some like set piece in the back breaks and everyone's like oh god something broke and people are like oh it's just that Phantom of the Opera again he does that and the people that work there are like what Phantom of the Opera that can't be real they're like oh yeah the Phantom of the Opera he's here he breaks shit he gets mad at stuff um it's just like a part of working here something that you should know he has like a specific box that he always sits in you have to keep like a box in the audience open for every show because he comes and he watches and he gets really angry if you don't open it if, that's if you... fucking nuts I'm sorry yeah oh like, yeah because <laughs> I know logically that like because I've seen it that the Phantom of the Opera is a real thing but my mind i was like oh they think phantom like they think ghost like it's gonna be they're just like yeah it's haunted as shit it's old timey times in france everything's died in here and no they are aware that it's a real human detail. yeah it's a whole ass person <laughs> wow yes. no efforts to go into catching this vandalist well not yet okay great <laughs> not yet <laughs> So the managers are trying to, like, downplay the fact that, you know, the set piece just almost fell and, like, killed people. 
Um, but Carlotta, the the chick who's performing, is like, well, absolutely fucking not. This has been happening on and off for like three fucking years. I'm out. I like this rehearsal's over. I'm going to my dressing room. Uh, have fun, bitches. And she storms off. But she has brown hair, so she's evil. Uh, so she's like, you're not supposed to like her. <laughs> I know you're currently <laughs> sympathizing with her, but she. Well, she's correct. That is a dangerous working environment. You should yeah, file so, a complaint with her union. Yeah, she's like, I- I'm out. Like, yeah, have, have fun. So she goes, and they're like, well, fuck, who's going to play, like, the lead? And I forget who exactly says it. So Wikipedia says, Madame Giri, the opera's ballet mistress, which I think is just, like, the ballet choreographer, but the ba- mistress has thrown me off. Um, uh, yeah. I think because French is like a funny language. I was literally just thinking about French earlier because I was pooping and I was like, (laughs) don't worry. You don't need to worry about it. I was thinking about Spanish, which I speak. Um, Not great anymore, but uh, that's because of not practicing. But then I was thinking of French because that's a bizarre language to me, even though they have the same base. And my partner speaks French pretty proficiently. And I was just thinking about how bizarre of a language it is and what weird like, if you don't, it's it's interesting to me because, like, Spanish I find very easy because I, like, when I was younger, had, like, a minor background in music and all of the way that, like, vowels sound in music is how things sound in Spanish. And so everything's, like, you don't have to learn a new sounding alphabet. Everything basically sounds the same. But French, everything sounds different. Sorry, continue. No, it's all good. So uh, Madame Giri, the ballet mistress, is like, hey, uh, this girl in the chorus, Christine Daye. She's actually been, she's been training under like a great teacher to sing opera. Um, She might be a good thing for you. Um, And the owners are like, well, our only other option is to cancel our sold out show. So yeah, get up there, kid. Let's hear what you got. And she sings like beautiful, sweet opera. And they're like, yes, we love her. And so then they transition to, of course, it's very theatrical during the song. It transitions into the actual show. She's singing her beautiful song, her beautiful aria. Um, And she's just like a beautiful, gorgeous. We love it. We love to see it, you know? Is she blonde? Uh, so Does she have she, brown hair? She also has brown hair. It's not it, as brown okay. as Carlotta's, but it okay, is so brown. Moderate dislike at this point. Yes, but we're, we're supposed to like her. It's okay. like her whole thing. Okay. So while she's singing her like debut opera, there's a gentleman in the audience named Raul. And he's like, oh shit, I know that girl. That girl like we were actually childhood friends and that's like super awesome. And I hope that I can like chat with her after because I haven't seen her since her famous violinist father died. So but let me see if I can like chat with her after. And it's very beautiful. So the show ends. We love it. Such talent. And Christine's like, I got to go like take a minute to like hang out by myself. So she goes to like hang out by herself. And then her best little friend, Meg, who is Madame Geary's daughter, who is a dancer in the ensemble, comes up to her and is like, hey, you did so good. Like, let's chat about it. Like, what's going on? Uh, how did you learn to be such a good singer? And Christine's like, you want to hear a secret? <laughs> My teacher... I don't super know who he is. We've never really seen him, but I think that he's like maybe the spirit of my father. Because <laughs> oh my, my father God. was always. Oh, so many things are coming back to me. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! She's like, I think that it might be. I think my teacher is the ghost of my father. And Meg's like, Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's the correct question. <laughs> um, and Christine's like, No, hear me out. Like. No! Um, she's like, he's teaching me how to sing. He's really cool. I'm also a little scared of him. And whenever we do meet, I get like a weird, creepy feeling. But also, I kind of dig it, you know? And I just really believe that an angel of music is visiting me and teaching me how to sing opera. And Meg's like, girl, you don't look so good. Are you okay? 
And Christine gets this weird like premonition. She's like, I think he's here right now. <laughs> and Meg's like, I'm going to go get some help. And she leaves. <laughs> and when she leaves, we hear a voice. The Phantom's like, hey, that was such a good show. <laughs> you did so good, my like sweet little bean, my little student. <laughs> right? Listen, I don't. I only take constructive criticism in the form of compliments, but never call me a sweet little bean. So then Raoul comes in to her like dressing room or wherever they are. I'm unclear exactly the location. And Raoul's like, hey girl, it's me. <laughs> Do you remember me? What's up, girlfriend? <laughs> we were like childhood buds and I insist on taking you out to dinner. Like, you just did a good thing. Let's reconnect. Let's, like, see where this thing goes, right? How presumptive of him to think she doesn't have other plans. Well, I mean, she doesn't. But also, like, he's super hot. So she's like, hell yeah. I'm down. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on board. I'm So far, I'm in Raul's corner. But, like, presumption, you know? Continue. So Raul's like, uh, great, go change your clothes and I'll see you out there. So she's in her dressing room. And then uh, she hears the voice again. And he's, I mean, obviously, it's the fan of the opera. Like, obviously, like, the fan of the opera is the one that's been teaching her how to sing. And he's, like, a little, a little jealous that there's now a new gentleman friend that's entered. So he's, like, <laughs> you know what? Like, you've been good. Like, you're a good little singer. I think it's about time that we fucking met. Like, because you've never seen my face. Because I'm just, like, a ghostly angel voice. But at this um, point, does she know that the Phantom of the Opera is a thing and she just hasn't put two and two together? I think yes. Okay. Side note. This reminds me that Danny Phantom is a thing. And I want you to watch <laughs> that on your other show. What a transition. Thank you. <laughs> But yeah, so he's like, hey, uh, take a look in your mirror right now if you want to, like, see what I look like. I'm, like, about, to, like, let's get this party started. And so she looks in her mirror, and he, like, appears in her mirror. And he's just, like, a man, but he's got that sexy mask, right? Like, the half mask that we've all seen. Uh, yes. Sexy is the way I would describe concealing half your face. Yeah, he's got that, like, which, like, just commit and cover your whole face. Like, we can yeah. tell that he's, like, a white man with a strong jawline, but, like, if you really want to be fully anonymous, like, cover the whole thing. Yeah, that's the dealio, home dog. Like, it's not going to help us think that you're actually symmetrical. That's what sunglasses do. Like, people look hotter with beards and sunglasses. is because you can't tell that they're unsymmetrical under there. Yeah. So he's like, ta-da, it's me. And she's like, dad? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I have two things. I have two things. <laughs> I have two things. Yeah. <laughs> so is it like she looks in the mirror and he appears behind her or is this like a weird cop like one-way mirror where he's like on the other side and it's like a different dimension type thing it's more like the second what that was not the one i thought it it's was gonna closer be closer to that that's insane that's wild for old-timey times how that technology didn't exist then well, okay it, well, it is like a one-way mirror because he's like hey come here i gotta show you something uh, <laughs> and then he just is like real close to it like oh <laughs> well he does like take her through the mirror what? <laughs> yeah. I'm At sorry. Least... I'm sorry. No, no, no. Stop. <laughs> what? Yeah. So he's does... like, is it like, like going through like a door or is it just like a portal to another dimension? It's like going through a door. I, okay. Well, that's like, it's not... like a secret entrance. Like it that's goes still bad. To, like I still somewhere don't corporeal. Like it. Yeah. 
it's oh, like that's horrible it's I like a like real that. place because other people go to it later so it is like a physical place that you can go to oh i have um, shells for the wrong reasons now that's very <laughs> yeah and here i don't know because he's like a ghost or like magic or whatever it, whenever she sees him she gets all like weird and like dreamy eyed because she's like oh my god angel of music like you can only do good things and she gets all like spell e you know? yeah i remember this part of my 12 year old brain being like i can't tell what's supposed to be happening because yeah. i haven't suspended my disbelief that's but i also show. haven't not <laughs> suspended my disbelief great good to know yeah the whole show is like he's probably a guy but also there's like magic e no he's either like a guy or a ghost you know like it's unclear if he's like a person or a ghost but he's kind of both it's strange to me that she's like daddy and he's like not that kind of daddy fine with yeah. that <laughs> well yeah that's again <laughs> that's, we're that's kind of at the crux of the whole thing yeah <laughs> Don't, so he, I don't like, like it. He's like, here, come with me. I, I gotta show you something. And so he takes her through the mirror. And it's that very famous, you probably remember it, the, the, like, it the, it's the, the big old song, the fan of the opera. You'll hear the song and you'll be like, yeah, I know that song. Sure. And it's where they're like riding on a boat in like an underwater like sewer situation. And he like takes her to his lair, which is like, it looks like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland. It like looks like that, but with like a shit ton of candles everywhere. And he's you know like, what's coming to my mind. What? Is rats' nests, like, as, like, a weird little creepy in the wall nest. Like, that's what I'm imagining, but larger, because he's a rat. Can yeah, it do? is a lot bigger than that. <laughs> that's it's, just what I imagine, is he's been, like, squirreling away, like, <laughs> yeah, No, it's a whole ass, like, like, studio apartment down there. Like, it's pretty big. Like, there's a I lot of real how, estate. If he had to, like, do the contract, like, if he had to get contractors, or if he had to, like, scope it, it out himself what is it her, definitely what is looks like there is some like contractor work i have i'm finding it hard to believe that the situation he's created down there was just like naturally there and he just redecorated do, do you think it's owned by the city or do you think it's like technically who owns it what are, what are the legalities of this property my guess is that it would be technically owned by the city if the city knew about it but because it seems to only be accessible through that one like mirror entry it was, seems there has like it, to be other. It's a fire hazard. Well, yeah, but uh, as we'll <laughs> see, the Phantom does a lot of fire setting on his own, so <laughs> it's like sort of an unexplained thing. He can like throw fireballs. It's like a whole thing. It's like a big plot hole. What? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll I'm get there. Really, uh, so he takes her into his like cool, creepy lair. And he's like, surprise, I'm the angel of music and I've chosen you. Like, I'm actually, I'm actually a playwright. <laughs> and I've chosen. Do you want to read my screenplay? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. He's <laughs> like, um, I actually write operas now and I want you to sing in the opera that I've written. And she's like all weird and spacey and like under a spell still. So she's like, cool. And then he's like, also, because he's like, is clearly attracted to her. He clearly <laughs> feels some kind of connection in a way that is not super cool and kosher but yeah, he's that, like that dick is hardening well yeah he's like i want you to sing my stuff and also i like kind of love you um and so he's like hey look in this mirror for a second and he shows her in the mirror and he shows her he like does his like phantom magic and shows her in a wedding dress like next to her and she's like mm, feeling away about that and she like promptly faints and then he when she's fainted he like picks her up and like tucks her into bed so she can rest which is creepy but he does while that's happening sing one of the most beautiful songs in all of musical theater so it's very confusing he sings music of the night which is a fucking gorgeous song i wish 
Gerard Butler was better at singing it, but it's very good. It's a song that I know that you've heard before. Okay. Uh, I have so many conflicts already. Continue. So he lets her sleep. Phantom is just like playing the organ that he has in his little lair. He's just like composing. And he's playing his little monkey music box that he just has. And that song wakes her up. And for some reason, she's like really into like the sound of the music box and like the piano playing. And so she's sort of overcome with emotion. She's just woken up. And so she feels comfortable that's enough like a medical issue you pass out for a certain amount of time that's like an actual like you need to go to a hospital so she but she's like feeling comfortable enough sure, which is sure. weird because the whole thing is weird but she's feeling comfortable enough to sort of go up to the phantom while he's like playing and just like pops off his mask <laughs> she just wants to like see what's under there so she just goes and like takes it right off and he freaks the fuck out i'm sorry (laughs) set in this goddamn musical is just non-existent that's correct and he wears the mask because his face is like disfigured and scarred and like quote-unquote fucked up so he freaks the fuck out and she freaks the fuck out because he gets super fucking pissed and she like is holding the mask and she like runs away and he sings a big angry song and then he starts crying (laughs) because he's sad and I don't, I don't like that. so she feels bad <laughs> so the wikipedia says moved by pity which i think it's more fear-based but she and phantom have like a weird thing going on she like feels sorry for him she's not that scared of him even though he's freaky um and so she just sort of like gives him the mask back and he's like okay you can go and then he takes her back to the dressing room <laughs> and that's the end of that is that um, the end of act one or is that no no oh no <laughs> We are maybe like a third of the way through act one. So we are back in the theater, just like doing more rehearsal stuff. And there's a stagehand. His name is Joseph Bouquet. He is uh, talking to all the ensemble girls. He's just like telling stories about Phantom of the Opera. And he's like, yeah, he likes to like kill people with this like noose. He likes to hang people. That's sort of his thing. He's very scary and we should be very scared of him. And Madame Geary comes up and is like, you should not talk about him that way because he's going to hear you. What does Madame, what does homegirl know? Like, yeah, she's, that, just, she's involved. Anyway, yeah. continue. But yeah, the, he, his weapon of choice, they call it the Punjab lasso, which I'm still unclear as to why. It's just like a noose. Like he just likes to hang people when he kills people. So the manager, the new manager people, the two dudes are like in their office. They're sorting through the mail. Raoul comes in and I think Raoul is like a big donor to the opera which I think is why he's like ever there I think he throws a lot of money and he's like um hey dudes I wanted to uh chat about something for a sec um I want to just like you know do a little uh, tete-a-tete you know um I got this silly little note um that I think is from you guys that told me to uh, never see Christine again and to leave her alone and I sort of resent that and the managers are like, we did not send you that, bro. We do not care what you do. <laughs> and then Carlotta comes back in with her, like, husband guy named Pianji. And they're like, hey, uh, manager dudes, uh, we want to chat about something for a sec. We got these wacky little notes um, that told us that our uh, quote-unquote days at the opera are numbered. And I, we resent that <laughs> because this is a stable job that you've provided us. And uh, the managers are like, yo, we did not send that. We are not sending these notes. Um, and Madame Geary is like, huh, 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 you know who it is, right? You know who's doing it, right? <laughs> She's like, in fact, I also have another note. And I'm not an idiot, so I know that it's from the Phantom of the Opera. 
And it says right here, I'm supposed to give it to you. And it says to replace Carlotta with Christine permanently or bad things are going to happen. And also, you better keep my box open, like box number five that I always come in. You better keep it open. I know that you're new here. So that's why I'm like taking the time to write to you to let you know how things work around here. Uh, and Madame Geary is like, uh, you, you got to do it, you know, like he's going to be pissed if you don't replace Carlotta and if you don't keep his box open. But Carlotta is like throwing a tantrum. And so they're like, Shh, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Don't worry, girl. We got you. And they sing another very famous song called Prima Donna where they like kiss Carlotta's ass. Um, and they're like, Shh, sh- no, 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 don't worry. Um, you, will, you will get to do it. You will be the one that sings. Um, and also sell that box. You know, this is a sold out opera. We need the tickets. Like the fan, he can hang out in a rafter like he's going to be fine. So the new opera happens. It's the premiere of the opera. Carlotta is singing. Uh, the box is full. We're all very excited. Christine has been cast as a silent role because Carlotta got pissed that uh, Christine was about to like come in and take over shit. So she's like playing the page boy. She doesn't say anything at all. So during the show, we're like watching the show. Everything's going fine until we hear the Phantom's voice on a loudspeaker, like cutting through everything. Is he mic'd? We don't know. And the Phantom is pissed that his box is not left open for him. He was like, I came to see this fucking show. I gave you very explicit instructions. You have not done that. And Christine is like, oh, she's like on stage and she's like, it's him, the fan of the opera. He's here. And Carlotta is like, bitch, you are supposed to be a silent role. So shut the fuck up, you little toad. As soon as she says, you little toad, suddenly her voice stops working. And she's like trying to talk, but all that's coming out is like, like, like croaking frog noises. So her voice gone during the show. So we're all freaking out. Um, and so the managers come onto the stage and they're like, mm, hold on, ladies and gentlemen, everything's going to be fine. Give us just a second. We're going to like uh, work things out. And then do you remember Joseph Bouquet from a few minutes ago who was like, ooh, the Phantom of the Opera, he's going to ruin shit just to like make fun of him. Um, his corpse drops down from the rafters on the news in front of a sold out audience. So we're like, uh-oh, everything is bad. <laughs> and then uh, we hear the Phantom laughing and then the lights go out. So there's, there's chaos, you know? everything like the power's out uh people are dead everyone's freaking out and christine is like i gotta get out of here and so she like runs away to a rooftop and raul finds her on that rooftop and is like hey you're pretty crazy in there huh <laughs> that like weird shit that just happened also i love you and christine <laughs> and christine's like you know what me too <laughs> and then they sing a beautiful song and then they like kiss a beautiful kiss and they run off into the sunset and then we see that the Phantom was watching the whole time. Oh. And he is very sad because he also loves Christine. Um, and he vows to ruin Raoul's life and to get Christine back. And because he's so angry, he decides that it would be funny if he just like broke the fucking chandelier. So there's still like an audience full of people. And he just cuts that chandelier and it falls right on down. And that's the end of Act One. And it's very fun because if you watch it, on stage the chandelier hangs out over the audience and they do drop the chandelier and then they cut the lights so you do see the chandelier drop over your head that's very exciting how dare you said this is andrew lloyd weber yeah how dare he this is the longest running show on broadway i hate this This is record breaking it opened up in 1989 and it has not closed okay so act two six months later six months have passed the Phantom has been gone. We don't know where he is, but 
we've no like everyone has noticed that like he's not here anymore because he's always just sort of around to fuck shit up and things have been going pretty well so they're like oh weird that the phantom's gone the opera house is hosting a masquerade ball for like a fundraiser i guess and everyone's happy it's like a big old famous song that you have probably heard and that i as a former ballerina have danced to in dance recitals about 12 different times it's a very beautiful magnificent number but there's a mysterious guest that attends the masquerade it is a man wearing red dressed as uh he's wearing red that's what's important um surprise it's the phantom um he's wearing like a different mask but it's definitely him and he uh publicly announces that he has uh in the six months that he's been gone you're welcome that i gave you a little vacation from me but i'm back bitches and i have written an opera and guess what y'all are gonna do it we're gonna perform this opera guess who's gonna be the lead it's gonna be my girl christine and you're gonna do it because now you've all seen that i like to murder a lot of people at once Christine is now also engaged to Raoul, but secretly, because she knows that the Phantom is around. Um, and Raoul is even like, hey, like, why are we keeping our engagement a secret? Like, I love you and I want everyone to know. And she's like, it's because I don't want the Phantom of the Opera to know. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not really okay with that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're going to do what makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> Great. Good. Um, so if you want to keep it a secret, then uh, we're going to keep it a secret. So there's, of course, a lot of commotion at this party because this random man has just shown up and been like, I'm the Phantom and we're going to do all this shit now. And in the chaos of it all, the Phantom sort of pulls Christine aside and is like, surprise, bitch. Bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. And um, is that an engagement ring on you that I see? She's like wearing it as a necklace because she doesn't want to wear it on her finger so that people don't see it. But he's like, hey, um, I see that little thing that you have and I don't accept it. And he takes the necklace and just like rips it right off her. And he's like, this is mine now. What a petty have, bitch. Have fun oh explaining God. this to your boy. <laughs> and then he disappears and fucks right off. Um, so the masquerade attendees are scattering because some fucked up shit just happened. Raoul finds Madame Geary and is like, look, bitch, you clearly know some shit that other people don't. I'm going to need you to sit down right now and tell me every single fucking thing that you know about this Phantom of the Opera because he's about to ruin my life. I don't appreciate the things that he does and I'd like to stand. Um, so uh, can you illuminate me as to what the shit is happening? And Madame Geary is like, actually weird that you ask because I do happen to know a lot about him. I don't know how. But apparently the Phantom is actually a very smart and talented man but as a child because his face is all fucked up everyone was like your face is fucked up and his like parents disowned him and he had no friends um and he got picked up by like a traveling circus type of thing that kept him in a cage and advertised him as like a weird animal creature and so he escaped and ran away and that was when he found like the weird hole under the opera house and made it his little home and he's been there ever since and that's probably why he's like super mean <laughs> and that's his life story um and Raoul's like great that's, thank you for that information no, that's nuts that's insane <laughs> every single thing that you just said is like fucking nuts okay continue meanwhile the um opera managers are like well i guess we have to do this opera <laughs> and Raoul is like, look, okay, if we're, so if we're going to do the fucking opera, we're going to need to use it to capture the Phantom because it's his opera. We know that he's going to want to come fucking see it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave his box open. We're going to invite him and be like, look, there's your box. Come on down. Come see your work. I'm, I'm on board. I think that that is a logical plan. I'm and they're like, hey, uh, Christine, you need to be in the show. And she's like, I'm absolutely not going to be in that fucking show. <laughs> 
And Carlotta is like, yeah, you need to put me in the show. Um, and I think that uh, Christine is doing all of this just to like take me down. She's behind the whole phantom business. There's no phantom. She's just trying to physically kill me. And Christine's like, look, I'm not into this at all. Um, please do the part. I want nothing to do with this. Um, but Raoul is like, hey, we need you to be in the show so that you, we can use you as bait to lure the Phantom of the Opera who actively wants to bone you and kill me. And that way we can get rid of him and then we can be happily ever after. And Christine's like, okay, fine. Like, I guess I get it. God, Christine. Jeez. So it's going to be Christine as the romantic lady and then Pianji, who's like the random other guy who I think is Carlotta's husband, is going to play the romantic male lead, Don Juan, because the show's called Don Juan Triumphant. Um, and Pianji like can't really sing the notes. He's not very properly cast, but he's like all that I got. Meanwhile, Christine's like having feelings because she loves Raoul, but she still like feels weird about the Phantom. She's still like got that weird like ghosts. Um, she's like I don't really still got know what. twingle. Yeah, she's like I don't really know what to do because like I love him, but I also kind of love him. I guess it's love. I don't know. Everything's weird, and I miss my dad. And so she sings like a beautiful song about how she wishes her dad was still here, and it's a very beautiful and also a very famous song. So she's like hanging out in a graveyard, like over her father's grave, like singing this beautiful song. And the uh, Phantom knows that she's here because he just always has tabs on her, and so he shows up, and Christine's like, "Oh, it's you. That's cool." And he's like, hey, come with me. And she's like, okay. And she's starting to do her like weird spell thing. And then Raul shows up. And Raul's like, absolutely fucking not. Like, I'm taking you. We're getting out of here. You, sir, need to fuck right off. And Phantom's like, actually, you need to fuck right off. And he starts throwing fireballs in this graveyard at I'm Raul. remembering why I hated this. <laughs> I remember there being no logic to this and being very upset. So uh, Raul like grabs Christy and he's like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. And he's so they're running away and the phantom's like i will remember this this is war i'm gonna kill you this is war upon you both like strap in because i'm pissed so get ready kids so we're finally at the day of the show where this the day of the show that the phantom has written um there's armed policemen around the theater and around the box and everyone's like we're gonna catch this motherfucker so it's christine and pianji like doing their little thing and they're sort of at like the 11 o'clock number of the show and it's for the, the, the romantic leads are going to have their big old duet like on stage um, and they're singing the song. And then Christine suddenly realizes that Pianji is no longer Pianji. It's actually the phantom in his costume wearing like a different mask, but she sort of realizes in real time. And so the phantom uses this opportunity to do a little bit of improv and deviates from the scripted material. And he once again on stage declares his love for Christine and is like, please marry me. In fact, it's not actually a question. So she still has the ring that he took from her. That was Raoul's engagement ring. And he takes the ring and he's like, you're going to marry me right now, bitch. And he like puts the ring on her finger. And she's like, well, I got to stay committed to the stage. Um, <laughs> every, we're, we're, there's still an audience. So I got to just pretend like it's part of the show, right? So she then decides, oh, I'm going to actually pretend like I'm under his creepy spell. Like this is, this is the moment. So they're like about, he's like about to go in for the kiss. And she's about to go in for the kiss. And then she takes his mask and take, rips it off on stage. So everyone sees his like ugly fucking face. And the audience is like, oh shit, it's the Phantom of the Opera. I think. <laughs> like, why is his face all fucked up? So the Phantom's like, I got to get out of here. But bitch, you're coming with me. So he grabs Christine and he escapes. <laughs> and then they realize that uh, Pianji is like super dead. He's like off stage, like crazy dead. Because the Phantom like super killed him. And they're like, oh, well. 
that's no good. And so an angry mob forms because they're like, okay, this guy, he killed Pianji. He killed that one stagehand. Like we gotta, like, this is a problem. Like killing people is bad and we all know that. So let's form an angry mob and let's go kill this guy. <laughs> and Madame Geary finds Raoul and is like, hey, I actually know how to get to the Phantom's like lair underground. Um, so here's actually how. And make sure you keep your hand at the level of your eyes because as we know, Uh, The Phantom likes to kill people with a noose. He likes to hang people. So if you keep your hand right here in front of your eyes, you can block the lasso when he puts it over your head. So just know that he's going to come kill you with his noose because that's like his thing. So hang tight. Good luck. Get your girl. (laughs) Okay. So uh, the Phantom and Christine are down in the lair. He's like made her put on a wedding dress. And she's like, okay, so some fucked up shit's happening for sure. But I just want you to know, dude, um, that yeah, I'm scared as hell of you. Not because your face is fucked up. It's because you're a shit person and you're a scary person and you kill people. And I need you to know that this is not me being like vain because you're ugly. Like you suck. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm never going to love you because you suck as a person. Then uh, Raul gets there and he's like, yo, let's, let's, it's time to throw down. But I don't want to. We can just walk away if you just like let Christine come with me and then I'll leave you alone. And I won't fucking end you right now. But sometime during this, the Phantom whips out his little lasso and he like puts it on Raul and he's like ready to fucking end it. And he's like, hey, Christine, I got a little ultimatum for you. I can either kill your boyfriend right here and you can watch. How fun, right? Or I can let him go, but you have to stay with me forever and marry me and you can never leave. How's that sound? Um, I mean, you and what army, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So Raul's like, let him kill me, you know, like let it happen. But Phantom's like, or I could not kill him and you can love me. Like, who do you love more? Like, you know, like, I think yes it's or no. obvious. The one me or me. Kid- Christine's like, like, instead of making a decision, she's like, okay, Phantom, talk to me about some feelings. Like, what happened to you that this happened? You know, like, why are you fucked up in the way that you are? And he, like, dabbles in it. He doesn't really say anything because he's not ready to be that vulnerable. <laughs> that's, that's what's too much of a step here. But in a, in a turn of events, she tells him, that he's not alone and she kind of gets it and she understands where he's coming from and she gives him a little kissy kiss and he is so moved by the only act of compassion that he's ever been shown in his entire life that he decides that he can't actually win her affection by trapping her here like he can force her all that he wants but that's not the way to win this girl's heart you know and he finally accepts that but you he's like "I'll, i'll let you go but you can never tell anybody what happened here. Just like run out, say that you were gone, that you stepped out back. Uh, this didn't happen. So Raul's like, girl, we gotta go. Like it's time. Yeah. And Christine's like, yeah, okay. Um, but before she goes, she gives the phantom back his ring just for symbolism, you know? Like, I'm never gonna marry you, but I understand what happened here. And like, thank you for your time. And the phantom, like before he, before she goes, is like, hey, I love you. I just want you to know. Um, and I know that we're never going to meet again, but I love you. Please remember me kindly, even though I killed all your friends. So the phantom is very, very sad. And Raul and Christine fuck right off. And the phantom is moping. And then the mob is close. The mob is like traveling through the sewer tunnels looking for him. And Meg, the little best friend, is the first one to enter the lair and be like, oh shit, what the fuck's happening here? But the phantom's already gone. All that's left is his mask. And she picks it up and she's like, oh, what the shit happened here? And that's the end of the show. Are you serious? Yep. Oh, God, I already hate this. Oh, I'm so not looking forward to watching this. It'll be fun. It'll be fun because I'll be with, like, people who care about it. 
And we're talking, it's important for you to watch in yes. your education of musical theater. Yeah, I'm sure you don't that have it has. to like it. It's very polarizing because it's a lot. The mu- some of the music is very beautiful. It's very classic music. It's music that is prevalent in pop culture. So even I know you've already seen the show before, but it's going to be a lot of music where you're like, oh, I recognize that from like commercials and stuff. Right. It's spoofed in every animated show ever. It's very easy to spoof because it's very famous and very classic. But yeah, there are some plot issues. <laughs> Alana, do you know my one gripe with musicals? <laughs> It's that the plot is not moving fast enough or good. Yeah, <laughs> this, you'll, you won't like this. But <laughs> <laughs> this is not the show for you. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to hate watch this. I think all that's left is for us to watch it and come back in a week's time and talk about it. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. Oh, I will say, okay. cut the actors some slack. They're not singers predominantly, but they are good actors and they are actually well cast. I wish Gerard Butler was better at singing, um, but if you can stomach it, there's a few key songs off the original soundtrack that you should listen to because Michael Crawford has the voice of an angel of music, one could say. Um, but it's worth, li- I, music of the night really is, I, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful songs in all musical theater. So Okay, fine. I'll give it the chance of my eyes watching it and my ears listening to it at the same time. Um, Sweet. And I'll talk to you about it. Well, I'll probably talk to you while listening. Good. Well, enjoy, man. Sure will. Um, for um, our listeners listening along, you can find it on Amazon. It is $4 to rent. So it's not super free, but it is there. Yeah. Um, I would love to show like a staged version if I had the means, but I can't yeah. find one that is legal. Or I think there's a few like concert versions, but the concert versions are just not the same. Cool. All right, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> yeah, bye. Hey, listeners, Alana and I make no money from this currently, and we would like to because we have fun doing it. And in order to keep up our subscriptions and watch things legally, we got to pay for them. So here's an ad of someone who does not sponsor us, but who, of someone we would like to sponsor us because we either already use their products or want to try them. You know who I'd love to sponsor us? Stitch Fix. Here's the reason. I don't prescribe to any particular diet plan or sense of like body image that needs to be constrained by the clothes that I have. And so with the fluctuating body that I have, I wouldn't mind getting new clothes more often. And so something like Stitch Fix that caters to size inclusivity and fluctuating style might be something that would be good for me. What do you think? Yeah, especially now in quarantine when we can't necessarily get to a store, you know? Who wants to? Like, I'm sorry. Fitting room lights are always the worst lights. It makes you feel the worst about your body. And Stitch Fix sends you a box of clothes to your house where you're comfortable and you don't have to talk to strangers. Exactly. And if you don't like it, you have chocolate in your home, most likely. Incredible. And you just send it on back? Yeah. Like, Stitch Fix, sponsor us. Because, listen, I'll wear the shit out of your clothes. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'll tell everybody about it. Listen, I'm busy and I am a bad human. Uh, not like in a morality sense, just like in the survival sense. And HelloFresh has actually been really helpful with that. Currently, we are in a pandemic and going outside is scary. But also, when you're trying to take, take care of yourself, sometimes you don't have the energy to think about how to cook something at the end of the day. And HelloFresh really helps with that. So listen, HelloFresh, please sponsor us because I already use your services. And it's fucking great. I love it. Everything I've ever had was delicious. And um, you're welcome.
Okay. It's been a week. It's been zero time for our listeners. Probably just enough time to pop in one of our incredible ads. Absolutely. But yeah, we watched <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. We watched it extremely freshly. We like just watched it a couple yeah, hours in fact, ago. I know that you've had a rough week, so I was like, it would be hilarious for us to watch this at the same time and text each other constantly about it. So And I, like, you were 100% correct. <laughs> the funniest way that that started was... I like, so I have this seven foot bean bag in our home office where my husband does most of his work. And I like hunkered down because as I told Lana earlier, my housemate was watching Moana downstairs. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit in the bean bag. And Matt came up and he was like, oh, I know you've been looking for your headphones. Do you want mine? And I was like, no. And so I like got up to plug in my computer. And I turned back around and he's just plopped in the beanbag. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're going to watch Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> and I was like, um, Matt oh. is absolutely invited to this podcast. He, I, <laughs> so I specifically told Alana that I would not give her opinions as we were texting. I would just say facts, which is accurate, I think, for the most part to what I told you. <laughs> um, but I did every single time Matt said something, I did parlay it to Alana and she would respond back and Matt was like looking over my shoulder at my phone and like giggling at our conversation <laughs> as it was going on. Well I like I didn't know this about Matt. I didn't know that he was such a musical theater like aficionado. I didn't he, know this. It's not it's not specifically musical theater. It's specifically music. He loves music. He like vibes with it on a level that like even I like I love music, but like he like isn't someone who is interested in, to the level of actually like reading and playing and understanding the composition of music, um, which is not something that I care about. And so like he plays guitar, he has been a like lead singer for a band and like he cares about beautiful sounding soundtracks. And so the thing that you told me was the Phantom of the Opera was like the soundtrack to your childhood. And apparently it was also the soundtrack <laughs> to his childhood. <laughs> something about it like everyone's parents like it and he was like it was my mom's cd and i listened to it so much and i was just like how does every single person in this house know more about theater than i do i can't be the only person this ambivalent about musical theater no it's just that your parents didn't play it every single fucking halloween you know my parents could not give two shits about any kind of theater in any capacity no kind of performance art was worth their time and it's so apparent to me because like media in general was greatly neglected and like your foundation is definitely like a lot of musical theater and then my foundation like music is led zeppelin <laughs> like as a yeah we do are we are very different in that regard <laughs> yeah um as a nine-year-old i was like we had this thing i've told you this before but where my music teacher would let like fifth graders bring in a cd or like a track once a week and then we could listen to it in the dark and just like learn how to appreciate music with our eyes closed and at that time green day was really big and i was like my parents my both my parents stopped listening to music in like 1984 <laughs> <laughs> and so like green day hadn't hit my radar yet i didn't really hit like a musical explosion until i was in high school and like driving and able to curate my own playlists and so everything that i listened to was like Led Zeppelin, Aretha Franklin, Billy Joel. I listened to a lot of Elton John. I listened to a lot of The Who and The Kinks and like The Eagles and like Johnny Cash. And so like a lot of like classic old stuff was my shit. And I went to music class and they were like, Green Day. And I was like, I'm so not cool. I'm so behind the times because all I listen to is Led Zeppelin. 
<laughs> as a nine-year-old. And in retrospect, I'm like, no, I was so ahead of my time. Those people had, hadn't even discovered Jimi Hendrix yet. And I was like, old news, buddy. You want to talk <laughs> about it? But that that's just like my parents... The only thing I remember seeing was my godmother, Jeannie, would take me to plays every once in a while. And then we had, like, friends who were in, like, playhouses and so when we would, like, go to see stuff. And so I never had that big of an exposure to anything musical that was, like, musical theater. I think my favorite thing is, what do you think that I thought about this? So it helps that as far as movie adaptations of musicals go, this one was okay. Um, there are some bad ones, and this was okay. I feel like you enjoyed it. Maybe? <laughs> Based on the text you were sending me, you were clearly engaged, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that you would be bored a lot more than you appear to be. Like, there are a couple of songs that are, like, kind of snoozers, because, like, they sing high, you know? I had a few epiphanies about how I feel about music, musical theater, and how the reason that I did not like this upon my first watching as a 12-year-old. It's hard um, to get into when you're 12. There's yeah. a lot going on. I, I don't blame you for that. So my overall reaction, the overall feeling that I have for it is I both hated it with every ounce of my being. <laughs> and loved most of it. <laughs> it was disgust and outrage and, and glamour and glory all at the same time. Yeah, that's very Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I think my overall takeaway is, like, I would absolutely, if I was in the mood to, like, feel a theatrical feeling, listen to the soundtrack again of, like, the actually good singers, but I would never watch the movie again. That's okay. (laughs) Um, I would, however, if there was, like, a whole to-do and we were, like, gonna go see it, I wouldn't see it on Broadway because that's a waste of my money and, like, of Broadway's talent. But I would see, like, a, a niche staged version of it. And at several points, I, at one point, I think I texted you, like, I would see a spoof of this. I think it would be hilarious to, like, see a Shrek-style musical with all of the very serious music and all of, like, the really important plot points. But every, the, the set design is just so spoofy. It's hilarious. Like, everything is just the epitome of the inflatable deer pool toy from Shrek. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that information. <laughs> Um, um, other than like, let's write it, but also because it's so famous and so well known and it's been around for a bazillion years, um, it's spoofed very often yeah. in like Simpsons, Family Guy, yeah. South Park, those and that's sorts the thing is like every single thing that you told me in the beginning where you're like, you're gonna know all of the music. I was like, oh, this, this is what this music is from because I have heard it be spoofed so many times, and then specifically yeah. the number Masquerade, which you mm-hmm. loved, and I was like, I didn't care like the music was fine it was fine parts of it i was really into parts of it i was bored with but the costuming was incredible it was so good yeah I that's loved really the, the point of the number it's not a number to move the plot along at all it's a good like classic act two opener i have i almost want to just like open our text messages and go through every single every single thing that i sent you so we have a recollection of the plot based off of those notes but I think the, the thing that was the best for me was, so we told you to pause and it was because we realized that Moana had stopped playing downstairs and we could go downstairs and put this on our TV and like really enjoy it on a larger level. And Matt was like, I'm so excited to see this. I love the music. All of this music is incredible. And then he would like tell me things and I would relay them to you. And you were just like, Matt is on a fucking roll. He and was on a fucking roll. <laughs> and he was like, 
I would not watch this again, but I will play you the soundtrack and we will probably watch a professional production that is good with the music because the music is incredible. And I was like, is it though? Well, yes and no. It really is good when the Phantom can sing well. Uh, Gerard Butler, who plays him in the movie, did his gosh darn best, but you know, he is just no Michael Crawford. Michael Crawford set the precedent extremely mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. Um, nominated, uh, he probably won a Tony for it, I assume. I remember my other points that I was going to make about just generally my consumption of it and the epiphanies that I had. Yeah, um, I'm ready for that. You know, like the epitome of our childhood is like listening to songs where you don't really know the words that are being sung. Oh, yeah. That is like a key implementation of this musical, and I hate it so much. It's something that bothers me a lot. I really like being able to like hear articulated words and like their meaning, and plot is one of the most important things for me, and if music is going to have a place, it needs to drive the plot forward, and if I can't hear what you're saying because you try to achieve this artistry with notes, I'm like pretty much off board. I'm not on board anymore. Zero out of 10 recommendations. So like there were several parts where I was like, oh, well, this is annoying because like it's, I'm supposed to be getting something here and I can't because I don't know what they're saying. And the other thing is my experience viewing it as a 24 year old person versus as a 12 year old person, which is exactly twice the age I was. I just, I wasn't ready. I wasn't emotionally ready. I wasn't developmentally ready. I didn't understand the, I like hadn't reached an appreciation of different kinds of music yet. Cause at that point I was still just like Led Zeppelin is the only music that I listened to. (laughs) And everything is an innuendo. And that's the thing that I've learned about all theater is that like, you're never gonna get it. You're never gonna truly enjoy it. Never gonna get it. Well, like, there's different types of theater, and a lot of theater is really meant to be fully enjoyed in two stages, which is your first introduction of it, where it's innocent and fun and pure, and then the second introduction of it, where you're an adult, and you understand the innuendos, and you're like, oh my god, I didn't realize, and then, yeah, so the problem is that I didn't enjoy my first introduction, and my second one, I was like, my feelings are so extreme that they cancel each other out, so yeah, (laughs) give me your thoughts now. Well, you keep saying that you have, like, really extreme emotions i want to delve into that like where are those emotions coming from um part of me is like every song slaps and could be made into like a fucking excellent remix and in fact matt was talking (laughs) to me about like all the (laughs) all of the metal remixes and i was just like i would be the most into like screamo metal versions like even punk versions of like most of these songs like i think that that's fun I just I have I, the the image that I got is <laughs> like going down to the club. It's like a Friday night. <laughs> you got a few drinks. You go up to the DJ. You say, "Bump that music of the night. <laughs> Bump that Phantom of the Opera overture, baby." <laughs> well, that's like that's what happened with like sexual healing. You know, like people did that with like Shiny and Let It Go, and like there's so many things that were remixed for like club drops and honestly i feel like there were a few things like masquerade could absolutely be a club bop are you fucking kidding and so like in that respect i'm like there's so much potential and i really enjoyed like the big parts of the music that have like plagued my childhood and i just didn't know where they came from (laughs) yeah the problem is that and this is like i think we should put a trigger warning on this episode is that this is nothing but abuse from start to finish and i have the most issues with all of the characters and the plot and so it's really hard for me when i think like the production value the like the set design of this the costume design literally everything about it that was not fundamentally part of the 
plot was incredible. <laughs> Everything was so good. <laughs> I had a moment where you had told me that Christine was what's her face from Shameless, and I forgot that you had told me that. And then it opened, and I was like, "Hey, that's what's her name from Shameless." And I was like, "Oh yeah, a lot of told me that's what's her name from Shameless." And then I like texted you, and you're like, "It's what's her name from Shameless," and I was like, "Yeah, I know." Um, yeah, it's like a nice surprise, right? Who knew that she was like a trained opera singer? Well, who knew? And also, I, I'm so wondering, like, what the timeline of Shameless was and how old she actually is in all of these things. Because in my mind, this this came out in 2004. And yeah, in my mind, she was like... She was, like, stupid young. She was really, really young. Okay. She might have been, like, 17, 18. But I know okay. that she was on the young side for sure. Yeah. Um, and then also, a lot of stuff, like, I feel like they either didn't take things far enough or took them too far. And there's just a lot of things that didn't wrap up and didn't really matter. And I'm like, why are we being introduced to this? You're taking me away from the important stuff. Like, the fucking music box, that stupid monkey music box. Yeah, there's, like, one too many, like, visual motifs. And yeah. that's not necessarily a movie thing. That's just the show. Yeah. I think my favorite comment that Matt made... Um, if you watch the movie that we watched, the 2004 movie, they, like, transfer between, like, I, I think it's supposed to be a commentary on, like, aging and, like, being old and how vibrant your memories are when you're younger. And I know that as you have dementia, like, that is something that is actually really prevalent is that your memories that are from when you're younger, when time takes up a different percentage of your life as you move through it, um, those are more steadfastly secured in your brain. So those are kind of like the things that are freshest, but it transfers between black and white, black and gray film and then color. And um, the black and gray is like modern timey times in the, it's like where we're supposed to come in and it's far after the events of the show and then color is when we're supposed to be engaging in the memory of the past and my partner is like the most colorblind that you can be and he was like i can't tell all the time between if it's gone to black and white or if they've just put like a hazy film over it that my eyes can't process the color change and he doesn't see in black and white, but it's something that I didn't realize was lost on him. And it made me like so sad because I was like, this is just the most obvious visual aid that they give you. And it, it doesn't transcend. It's very, like many things, very ableist. But I think that that was like the most impressioned thing on me from my partner was like, Aww. he was like, I can't really tell. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's black and white, honey. It was like a little confusing just because like the conventions of flashback, flash forward, mm -hmm. they put the one that was like more recent when they're mm -hmm. older in the black and white in like the old timey looking film and then when mm -hmm. they were going backwards that's when it was fully colored and fully saturated and that can be confusing you know because when yeah. you think of the flashback you think of the old timey film and then the present is the bright colors but they yeah. flipped it but yeah um how that would be confusing for a person yeah, who's colorblind it, it was a lot and i think it like every single choice with the set design i was on board with i was so happy with like all of it. I don't care if it's accurate to the era. It was so good. Um, yeah, the the music is very beautiful and everything about it is very beautiful. Almost seemingly intentional to distract you from the fact that that there's no plot. Well, that the Phantom is like a garbage person. He's like well, a bad guy. But then the, the thing that I remember also being really confused by was like when I was 12, I forgot that this happened. It was it was an interesting rediscovery for me. But when she takes off his mask and he goes blonde and I was just like, was he always blonde? Like, I don't know. I think that was truly just bad editing. But he's blonde for like the rest of the time. Um, it. I think it's bad editing. I think that it is like... Yeah, because for our viewers that watch along, it's definitely like when he's just phantoming, you know, slicked back, gelled black hair. 
very mm-hmm. fancy looking. And then, yeah, you see it for like a flash. He takes off the mask and yeah, suddenly his hair is like blonde and stringy. That's how, and he remains that way for the entire scene underground. It's blonde and stringy. For the very end, yeah, when he's yeah. like totally unhinged. Yeah. Um, and then he puts the mask back on when he did, like the first time Christine takes it off after like music of the night. And he like puts it back on and his hair is fine again. So I think it was just, like, just like a glaring editing error consistency costume issue. I, I, I had a debacle with that particular choice. But I think those are all of my thoughts pre our text message. And Elena and I are here because we're funny, specifically. <laughs> we um, needed it just in case you couldn't tell. Just in case you couldn't tell. You know when you know when someone's the funniest is when they tell you that they're funny. Yeah, when we have to explain the joke, that's uh, how you know it's a good joke. Funny. Um, I went through like a long period of being like, so I'm funny and telling that to people. And I was actually funny, but I also thought it was funny that I would say that. And so it was just like an ironic circle that kept playing in itself. And people were like, I can't tell if she's funny or not. And I was like, that is part of the funny. You're welcome, friend. Okay, let's start at the beginning from this bad boy. Yeah, we're just going through our text messages from when we watch this. Because I, I tried my best not to give you opinions. I was just like stating facts. I um, gave opinions. I gave no shits. Right off the cuff. You already given me so many opinions on this. This this podcast is not for you to hide your feelings from me. That's true. Um, <laughs> okay. So we just said, okay, so I called you so we could sync up our watching. It cut to someone like lifting someone's feet and I thought they were putting like someone in an old timey carriage coffin. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? I remember you texting me being like, who's the dead body? And I didn't know what you were talking about. So I just it's ignored it. It's the old guy because he's, yeah. he's in an old timey wheelchair. But all they see, all I see was were the feet. And I had like not been paying attention because I was talking to you. It was just so much. And then let's see. There's the monkey music but The... <laughs> motif that we discovered as we were watching this and texting each other about it was we were typing the exact same thing at the exact same time yeah it was good so like we just went 666 because that's the like number of the that's house. the name of the one in the auction yeah. the the lot number for the chandelier is literally fucking 666 and i was just me? like and we both texted <laughs> at the same time and i said like, get the fuck out <laughs> and then it went into the like and you texted me all of the bums and you just said flashback and I just went fuck why um, and this is the point where I was like I'm going to give you zero opinions just facts as things are happening and, and that's when you said do you like how it's old timey times but also the, the 80s and I said very much both of those things and then I followed up with a mustache because we had the introduction of the two new buyers who have just like upsettingly incredible mustaches (laughs) they're like you know the old muppets you know the two old muppet guys yes yeah that's what they are like to me that's exactly what they're like and then you're continuing to talk about the music which i'm still about but at this point i've noticed that everyone in this has a headpiece that i want and i had the image of myself you know when photoshop was new and people were just photoshopping like a million times of their heads onto like one image. I want my head repeated over and over with no body, just with all of the different head pieces. <laughs> and I don't think yeah. that I accurately conveyed that to you because I just kept telling you I want the head pieces and you were like, yeah, I get it. And I was like, no, you don't understand. This is still during the overture, right? When yep. they're still like flashbacking and they're like taking all the cobwebs off of the seats mm-hmm. and everyone's getting ready for the show. That was the point where I was like, this is going to be a problem because we're texting a lot. We're te- we texted every 
minute of the two hours and 21 <laughs> minutes that that movie was. And I was like, I'm going to miss so much because I have to respond. I have to tell you how I feel. And you asked me why they're all dressed like Princess Leia. And I just yeah, completely all the ballet dancers that were like in chains wearing like the Princess just, Leia slave outfit. I just was like BDSM hardcore. And then we get introduced to who I affectionately call long haired man for like that's the entire Patrick time. Wilson. That's that um, guy. That's that guy. You said that in our text message. And I said opera because at that point they were just singing. And I historically do not enjoy opera. I historically don't love a show that has very little spoken dialogue and only operatic music. And that's all that this was. So I was at war with my internal struggle. because I was like, I enjoy this. I like the references to all of the spoofs that I grew up with. But why is this happening? Oh my God. And then you said, tell me he looks familiar, long haired man. And I said, so familiar. And you said, that's Patrick Wilson. And I, I said, can't hey, tell said. you a single thing that he's in. Yes, that's that's the exact text message that you but said. But if you all Google Patrick Wilson, you're going to look at his face and be like, he's been in like a thousand things. So I can't tell you what any of them are. I made the comment that he looks like Job from Arrested Development. Yeah, he does kind of look his... like Will Arnett. But I was also like very attracted to long-haired man who play, plays Raul, who's like Raul, the main yes. love interest. But we'll no longer refer to him as Raul. He will only be long-haired man. And I was all about him. I was super into him. I thought he was super cute, but I am not interested in Job. I don't think that Job is cute. Yeah, he was um, surprisingly the best singer probably in the whole thing. He he did a lot. He did a lot of work to rescue that that <laughs> show. Um followed up with and then someone said love me and so I texted you love me and then same. That was Carlotta. You, yeah. you had a, Did you know that Carlotta was played by Minnie Driver? I didn't know that. Who is Minnie Driver? I know that name. She's in stuff. <laughs> This you know. is the entirety, this is the reason we started this podcast, because every <laughs> single conversation that we have goes exactly like this. I say, hey, that guy looks like Job, and you say, he, that's a Patrick Wilson, he's a guy who's in so many things, and I go, well, like what? And you're like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I just who know. Well, because in and the credits. And then say Mini Driver, and I'm like, I know that name, but in, who is in that? In the credits, like, they list every- you should know. You know that she's important, because you know when, like, at the end credits, they list everybody, and it'll be like, Emmy Rossum, Patrick Wilson, and then at the very end, and Mini Driver as Carlotta so she's important anyway this is when the spectacle of it really like clutches onto me because clutches latches clutches whatever because as we have established previously Alana loves a spectacle and I fucking love a spectacle and so we open in the memory times with Carlotta singing and there's like elephants on the stage and multiple like cardboard cutouts and like 3D models and I was all about it. Yeah, I was, it's like, a this, hell of a dress rehearsal. It's a fucking it's a fucking production and I was like this I'm I'm in, I'm in. And then Carlotta throws a fit and she says bring my doggy bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, bring my doggy bye-bye. And then the specific note that I had about the orchestra instructor, what is that person's name? The conductor. The conductor. The orchestra um, was that, instructor. He instructed the orchestra. Was that he looked like a praying mantis. <laughs> and that was the most important note that I had from that scene. Additionally, she has that spray that comes back to get us in the end because she like croaks like a frog later on. Um, and I was like, is that supposed to be opium? And you're like, I just don't fucking know. And I was like. Yeah, I really don't. It's, I don't know. Throat, um, coat. I know that you can smoke opium, but you know, there's got to be some sort of like. I mean, I don't think it's like cocaine where you like rub it on your teeth. I don't think it's like that. <laughs> it's just like chewing tobacco. You just like put a little in your gum. Put on yeah, your I, I don't. I don't think it's like that. But I wouldn't know. I've never of, done opium. 
a lot of our text messages were just like, this fucking guy or this fucking girl. We sent a lot of the same stuff at the same time. So one of those sentiments was like, I was like, that tech is so, so the worst. And it was Joseph so Bouquet. Oh my God. Joseph Bouquet, um, hold your tongue. It was just... We're meant to hate him, and I do. I hate him every second of every minute that he's on there. Yeah, he's gross. Um, and then I just kept thinking that I was seeing different people who were in different things. So I thought, like, the guy who plays uh, Kira Knightley's dad in Pirates of the Caribbean was one of the owners. And then I thought Nicolas Cage had, had a cameo for a minute. And I was like, could you imagine? Can we stage a production of this with only Nicolas Cage where he plays every character? Absolutely not. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> Um, I have to contradict you because the exact thing you said in our text messages when I asked you that was, I wish. Well, you did not express to me that it was going to be Nicolas Cage playing every part. No, I need every (laughs) That is new information. (laughs) (laughs) Can you you imagine Nicolas Cage as the Phantom opposite Nicolas Cage is also (laughs) Christine Daae? (laughs) Opposite. Nicholas Imagine all I ask of you, sung by Nicholas Cage's Christine Daae, and also Nic- Nicholas Cage's Raoul. Imagine Nicholas Cage just yelling, "Bring me my doggy, bye bye!" And then they kiss, and then they go away off the rooftop, and then Nicholas Cage is the Phantom, sings the little reprise after he was spying. Oh, I was gonna say Will Smith. If Eddie Murphy can play Norbit and Eddie Murphy, we're fine. This is fine. And then there was a song, and I was like, "Sing, bitch!" And you said, "I had my, I had a voice teacher." Me, yeah, that was um, "Think of Me." <laughs> oh yeah, and I was like, "I, re- I know this bitch. song. Is this what this is from?" Think of me. And then every single costume. There's um in the background of this. There's like people with dwarfism who are dressed as cherubs and they have wings. And I was like, I would like to own and be dressed in that costume. I want every costume that's in this. Oh, <laughs> and then we had. A poofy dress comment and there's a lot of poofy dresses in this yeah so yeah when christine is like at the rehearsal and carlotta fucks off and they're like we got someone's got to sing it and madame uh jiri is like christine can sing it and she sings it and then there's like the beautiful transformation where during the song she goes from dress rehearsal to the stage on opening night and she sings to a sold out audience um, like a wedding dress. Yeah, like a big old poofy situation. Yeah. I've worn like pretty poofy dresses. So I, I you were like, I wish I could wear something like that. And I was like, how have you not? And I thought, right? This was how have I not? <laughs> but my middle school had, uh, what was it called? It was, we had theme days every year. And when you're in eighth grade and you're learning about the American Revolution, our theme day was called Heritage Day, and you got to dress up as like Southern Bells and then Civil War heroes. What? Um, and all the girls, <laughs> all the girls were wearing gigantic dresses with hoop skirts. You prepared all year for this, and all all of the boys would wear uniforms of of the Union soldiers. And what? <laughs> yeah, and it was an entire part of our PE curriculum leading up to this that everyone learned how to do all like the proper waltz the proper two-step line dancing so like everyone knew how to do it and you had a dance card and you had to ask people leading up if you because you had like an entire part of your day that was just in the multi-purpose room where you would dance and they would just play music and there was no instructions you just knew how to do the line dance because we'd already practiced in PE and been graded on it and we were in these gigantic hoop skirts and you just you had you had your dance card and you would dance you would do like the two-step you would do the waltz you would do there's so many things that i'm forgetting now and it was crazy it was a crazy time literally what the fuck 
And I just thought that was what everyone did. I was like, um, this is normal. Absolutely so not. <laughs> I, I, when you were like, I wish I had a poofy dress. I was like, I've absolutely worn a dress like that. Um, not just that time, but also like three years later. Well, hold I, on. I'm not the, done with, I'm not done with this. <laughs> before we like, before we move on. Because I know that at least like my middle school had like a cotillion program, but that was what? like cotillion, which like was like manners? some weird. Yeah. But it was like after school and it was only like a couple of weeks long. And the very end was some sort of like quote unquote, like ball where you would dance with people. And I absolutely never signed up for that because why would I? But the thing that is absolutely sending me about what you're saying <laughs> is that it was specifically like a civil war like reenactment you know not yeah. like the battle but it was like a civil war so era was, it was like a track and field day where you would move to different parts of the school and there would be different events and so there was actually a reenactment portion what? <laughs> i think the wildest thing is that this was such a big deal that okay so my i'm realizing i realize now that my schools that I went to were very strange in very different ways because that's the same year that like ping pong was part of the PE curriculum. And during dancing, people got so into it. I'm not just talking the girls. I'm specifically talking the boys, which did not, there were fewer boys than there were girls. And um, it, it sucked because like you had, you could only, they, they went by like strict rules of etiquette where like the men had to ask out the women. And so like, if you weren't, one of the girls that got asked, you just were, weren't dancing that dance. And I was not a particularly good dancer, specifically because I don't have rhythm and I also broke my ankle. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> but this got to be such an exciting thing that the PE teacher, who was the most excited about teaching, would hold like a competitive dance marathon during lunch for the second half of lunch that you could just walk into and be a part of if you were in the eighth grade. And it was like jam-packed. It was jam fucking packed. Everyone was in there all the time and just like swing dance into their heart's content, waltz into their heart's content. And then like it got around like, because as a woman, when you're taught how to dance, a lot of it is just like, it doesn't really matter if you're a shitty dancer, as long as you don't have a shitty dance partner. It's a lot on the men to make the women look good. And so like people got around who was good dancers. Like it was fucking nuts like it was like a hot or not list the original facebook style but instead of who was actually hot who was actually an excellent waltzer this and is the, all the, absolutely the, insane and the guys were like the most into it like there was so much pride about it and then same year right after this ends we go into ping pong and it same exact fucking thing happens where this same teacher would be like in during lunch in the multi-purpose room with all the ping pong tables set up and you would have like during lunch a thousand kids just in there waiting their turn to do competitive ping pong tournaments in the school it was a nuts year it was a fucking nuts year <laughs> Wow, <laughs> I, got, I got nothing. <laughs> um, so I got to wear a poofy dress is the story that I was going to tell you because I didn't think that it was insane. I thought it was normal. Um, it's um, absolutely insane. And I have a specific faux pas, which we talk about a little bit in our, note, our text messages. I had the same dress as one of the girls who my crush had a crush on. Uh-oh. I showed up and I was like, I felt so flat. I felt so cool. I had like tiny tiny ringlets that were absolutely the worst but I felt so cool I'd gotten up like three hours before school so my mom could curl my hair because my hair does not hold a curl and I was just like oh yeah this civil war era look is on point I, I like can't. gorgeous 
And I walk into school and I want to say her name was Stacy. She like walked in and she did not put nearly as much effort into the outfit as I had put in. And it, that was that was at the time where not caring was cool. So I looked like a dweeb. I looked the worst <laughs> compared to her. And my crush, who was also an asshole, who did not deserve any kind of affection from me at all. But, you know, we all make mistakes. He was just, like, entirely smitten. And he was like, Stacy, you're the bomb.com. And that's when they started dating. And I was crushed. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I danced with someone else who was, like, my crush from, like, three years earlier. Because I went to a lot of the – I went to the same schools, like, a lot of other people that, like, we stayed in the same schools from, like, elementary school through high school. So there was a guy that I danced with for, like, a lot of dances because my dance card didn't fill up and neither did his. No. And I was like, that's okay, mister. I'm not going to say his name because he is a very attractive man now and I don't want him to know that I oh my God. at him. Yeah. It was great. Well, all of that is insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I have not quite wrapped my head around it, but I think I'll get there. Back to Fan of the Opera. Back to Fan of the Opera, the least important thing that we've about today so far. If you have pictures of this whole Civil War situation, I'd I'm, love to see them. I'm 100% sure that there are a thousand pictures of me during that time, because that's when i pretty sure that's when I was allowed to have Facebook for the first time. Oh my god. I will, I will do some hardcore digging and figure it out. Those kinds of pictures might be like on a sim card not a sim card but like a memory card from a camcorder from like 2004 either way you hey that's when this movie came out um you are you are going to need to notify me immediately the minute that you find them i will like reach out to the people who would have them and make a specific like hey if you have a picture of me please give it to me Um, oh my god incredible because i was also the worst at like taking pictures of myself i just care and i'm still bad at that i care zero percent of like recording moments in time unless it's about my animals fair and that's the phantom of the opera folks that's it <laughs> that's it <laughs> no most of everything else in the phantom of the opera was just me being like oh that's what the song is and then enjoying the costumes specifically like i there was a lot of emotional abuse there was quite a bit of lack of consent that i did not like both on literally everyone's part and every single part of the set design like they enter into the dungeon <laughs> in um the phantom's home and they're like candelabras that raise up out of the water and i was like and sometimes the the candelabras are like played by people oh my god that was incredible (laughs) like every so often they like are like actual hands that move or like it will be faces that like turn to face the camera it was it was fucking nuts and i was like maybe we never truly answer is this person real is he magical the amount of like the when we find out about him being part of the circus it is the most traumatic it should deserve a, a trigger warning and a trigger warning if you are a child of abuse at all right now but um he um is the, like they call him the child of the devil yeah and the ballerina teacher is like a little girl and this is her memory and she like walks in and he's in a fucking cage just trying to live his goddamn life and people are jeering at him and being cruel and he has a bag on his head and so this leads us to believe like he has had this what we think is a deformed face and like i I was like is it a burn victim is it that bad like what you know people have had horrible like not horrible but people have had really aggressive face (laughs) deformities for like the longest time yeah there's reason to believe at least like in the show that it's a birth defect it's probably not that they like he says that his like mom throws him out or abandons him or something yeah 
Um, and then in order for you to believe, because at this point you're like the devil's child, there's just a child with a horrifying bag on his head in a cage. That's bad. That's not good. And then the ringmaster gets in and beats the shit out of him. And it's very traumatic. Like most of the show, I'm like, this is bullshit. And I can laugh, cry at how horrible it is. But like, this is not okay. And I feel like it's very normalized in the plot. Like it's just a device and not like something worth taking time to actually talk about. I know that it moves the plot and the character development forward, but like, goodness me, that deserves its own time because it's yeah, horrible. It's one of those moments where like, because it's a movie, you can run with those kinds of moments where like in the show, it's it's less of the focus. Um, it's, it's more- bad. Yeah, And then he on- kills, uh, everyone leaves and he's collecting money and he- strangles the shit out of the ringmaster yeah it's his first strangle victim that is his weapon of choice that's his Which murder attempt of choice the lasso nuts. it's absolutely the lasso the noose <laughs> well no the lasso they call it his lasso they do call it his lasso but it's it's absolutely not a lasso um a lasso is tied differently than a noose so here's a little side business um they say it less in the movie mm-hmm. but in the musical there's like a really heavy emphasis they're always saying Keep your hand at the level of your eyes. They do see it, yeah. But they like they like drill it into you in the show. <laughs> and I, as a child, had no idea what that fucking meant. Especially because for so long, I was like not clear that there was like murder in the show <laughs> because I was only like listening to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really get it until I like saw it on stage when I was... And I saw it a few times on stage before I like understood what the fuck was happening because mm-hmm. it's opera and mm-hmm. when they sing high, you can't really tell. So I was, I don't know. 15, 16 before I was like, oh. <laughs> and I was always like, I don't understand why keeping your hand at the level of your eyes would like do anything. I don't get that. <laughs> Same with like, they would call, I think in the show, they call, it's got some weird name. They call it like his Punjab or his Punjab lasso. Yeah. Uh, it's something that's like incredibly racist, I believe, is is yeah. how it, it's not intended, but it's not, it is kind of received that way. But they do have like weird references to it. And yeah, and it I just- I had no fucking idea what that meant. I like, didn't know what weapon this was. I And then I was like, one day, like my brother like explained it to me. He was like, he kills people with a rope. And if you keep your hand at the level of your eyes, you can catch it when he's trying to slip it over your head. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Um, but it had to be very explicitly explained to me because I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I want you to know that in my 12 year old watching this, I didn't even realize that that was a plot device. I didn't realize that that had even been mentioned. And I don't know if I would have truly, I would have like maybe noticed it, but not like truly cared about it until you had told me about it in the first half of yeah. our, our discussion. It's and because like, in, the, it is- in the Go movie, ahead. they say it a couple of times. And in the musical, mm-hmm. they sing about it a bazillion times. And we just, horrible child abuse, horrible lack of consent, horrible boat rides in sewage, uh, which I know it's not supposed to be sewage. I know it's like meant to be romantic, but I can't get it out of my mind that it's sewage. I can't get it out of my mind that like someone built a Chamber of Secrets like tunnel down there and there had to be contractors. Like someone had to build it. It, Like we never established whether or not he's magical. I'm I'm inclined to believe that he is drugging her and she's hallucinating for a lot of that. Because we have a lot of, like, perspective stuff that that indicates that. We have a lot of, like, she's walking down the hallway and there's these beautiful candelabra arms that are human, that are painted gold, and, like, dancing with her. And then the ballerina girl is down there and it's, like, a rat-infested, gross place. And I that doesn't necessarily, like, explain all of the shit. It doesn't explain 
how he like elevates his voice or anything, but I think it explains some of it and kind of her infatuation with him. Because if it's like a addictive episode, if he's like drugged her to the point where she's having hallucinations and she's now like completely susceptible, then I can imagine that it would be much easier to influence her to not think that it's weird that her daddy ghost boyfriend is coaching her and grooming her for sexual abuse eventually that's what he's doing he's emotionally manipulating her and grooming her to be his child bride when he's a full fucking grown man i mean i think that she's like not a child when she i think emmy rossum is a child when she's in it but i think that she's you know a consenting adult Not, um, not not necessarily consenting but i do think that she is an adult in order for her to be paid as a opera I, performer i feel like they say that her dad died when she was like seven yeah she was young it was my understanding that that's when she came to that playhouse and has been like kind of apprenticing there ever since and that's when i assumed he started teaching her so i didn't think that it was like a recent thing i think it's not specified exactly when he started teaching her Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was then I was and it just, also uh, it also feels to me like it had to have been pretty quickly after her father's death for her to like associate him so directly with her father being like an angel of music you know because I feel like after maybe five years of silence if daddy's coming back you're like mm, is it daddy or is it someone else that's true um that I mean that could also happen at any age a victim of any kind of emotional manipulation or abuse or if you're going through depression or you're vulnerable because you lost someone like it's that's very fair yeah i mean yeah no parents she lived at like the ballet school hard to be a ballerina i'm sure it was hard then it's hard now but yeah i'm i don't know i don't know when he found her i don't know when they met i don't know when he started doing creepy shit you know yeah in my (laughs) mind he started doing creepy shit when she was like young he was like raising her to be his bride which is what is gross to me that's why i'm very specifically grossed out by it and i think that is the intent i also i wonder why her you know i think because she's vulnerable i think because there's no one around she doesn't have any family who's like looking out for her she's not leaving the theater at night and she's alone pretty often it's creepy that he would know that. <laughs> I mean, it's creepy that he is a scarred man who lives in the secret chamber of a theater and gets up $20,000 or 20,000 francs a month and no one knows who he is and how long he's been there except for one person. Yeah, who what does that talk about him? What does that say about, you know, the whole staff that they're just like, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah, it's just the phantom. It's just the, you know, casual murderer who lives underneath like Also, these self-esteem, because, like, here's the thing. I know that I've said the word deformity, like, a few different times, but it's ultimately, like, what someone would call a birth defect. And it's not a defect. I think that that word is really taboo and stigmatizes the way that people naturally look when they're born. And sometimes symmetry is not 100% there, and it doesn't add or take away value of, of a person and I know that like these are supposed to be old timey times when how you looked was like your currency but he's just he's he's Gerard Butler it's just not that big of a deal and it's sad that someone took advantage of of that and uh, abused him and tore his self-esteem down so he thinks he's a monster who can't be loved but like it's just he's still able to enjoy the world he can see he can smell he can taste he can touch he can walk and 
it's just like so many not not to invalidate anyone's suffering but you know it's the thing of like well murderers had a bad childhood so many other people also had bad childhoods and yeah. don't murder people you know yeah um so many yeah. other people have bad childhoods and don't raise children to be their brides yeah it's a complicated he's he's a complicated character to have been written at that particular yeah. time because mm-hmm. i mean it doesn't help that he's always cast as like a beautiful attractive man yeah um, and it's who like sings it's really well mm-hmm. and he sorry i just totally interrupted you but no. i'm gonna keep going well no, my, my one point was like, he's Gerard Butler. Who gives a shit what the other kind of, what the other side of the mask looks like? If you're into it, then like that's some BDSM shit that you can, you don't have, ever have to take that mask off if you don't want to. If you feel insecure about it, look at the other half of your face is fucking gorgeous, my man. Yeah. Like, um, and he does like, I mean, like he sort of loses it at the end there, but like he does let her go. You know, he, she, he does, she does show him some kindness through, a kiss which is complicated in its own right it's, oh i hated um, that i was i then, really hated that i don't and like then he lets him, but then he lets him go and he's like forget everything and i'm gonna get the fuck out of here and i i you know he it's not worth it and he lets so then it's like he lets him go but after he killed people and after he like almost killed raul and well you know it's yeah. hard because he's hot and so it makes you want to feel bad for him and he's got well, like a bad childhood and people were mean to him but also he murders people and kidnaps people and it's like I, I'm just thinking specifically about, like, the tragedies that have befallen people for so long, things that are not necessarily birth defects, and I, I completely understand, like, even when people aren't born with birth defects, a lot of parents aren't able to be with those children, whether out of choice or lack of choice, and, you know, people who are adopted kind of have to deal with the emotional consequences of that as they grow up, and it can be really, really stressful for the individual and so you know that as an aspect of it is is very sad um but then in the like disfigurement aspect of it you know people for as long as we have known have had fake teeth fake noses there's been slavery where people have had prosthetic limbs and eyes and people have had their bodies deformed by cruelty in very serious ways and ultimately like it's just he is his suffering doesn't warrant his behavior. Well, yeah, um, it's no an explanation, not an excuse. Yeah, no one, no one's suffering is an excuse for their cruelty. And it's something that, like, while I think that Gerard Butler is a handsome man, um, I can't get on board with it. I can't get on board with the sympathy for him. And it's hard well, yeah. because, because, like, I know that I'm supposed to. I know that that's the point of the whole thing, is that he's a complex character who you're supposed to pity. But you can pity someone and think that they're a pathetic excuse of a human at the same time well yeah and th- that's kind of the downfall of the show you know mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's it then that's how i kind of that's how i thought you would react yeah. to. that's sort of my issue with it yeah um like in a realistic lens where we do not suspend our disbelief as a character like i'm totally on board with a flawed character i'm not on board with a sadistic character who uses their tragic past as an excuse to be a shitty person and to take life from other people i also think uh, we keep sort of touching on it and then not Mm -hmm. addressing it about whether or not he is like really some kind of ghost magic guy or if he's just a person in the movie there's more of an emphasis that he's a person that knows stage tricks Mm -hmm. um because we see a lot more of like 
um, in the very beginning when that set piece drops on Carlotta, we see like a gloved hand. There's like a scene like undoing a rope. Mm -hmm. We see him like up in the rafters actively murdering the stagehand. We see those Well, that was actually things. one of my notes that I wanted to talk to you about because I was like, he's just a shitty stage manager. And then there's several aspects where I was like, as a stage manager yourself, how do you feel about, how would you well, feel about like producing a show? He's not that- a... He's not a stage no, manager. He's, he's, he's a stage not a stage hand. manager. Yeah. He, he'd be a stage hand. But like, but you are a stage manager. You do this and you direct people and you tell things where to be. And like, how would you feel as someone working behind the scenes? Would you accept that this is just part of it? Um, well, I have thoughts on that, but I'm going to keep. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, I'm going to store that away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the movie, there's more of an emphasis that he is a person doing these things. Like even mm-hmm. when he's during masquer at the very end of masquerade, when he comes out in his like red outfit and he's like, I've got you an opera here. And then he like disappears into the floor, but then Ralph follows him into the floor and sees that it's like a secret thing. And we see a lot more like the, my mirror that I was spying on Christine on, that is a secret passageway and it's yeah. a one way mirror. Whereas at least the production that I saw, Mm-hmm. I've seen a few productions. I've seen a few productions of the touring company, which is supposed to be like a direct transplant of Broadway. He also, he like fucking throws fireballs like in the graveyard. Yeah. He is, he like throws fireballs. I and forgot like, about that. I did forget about that specific part. Um, and it's a lot more like there's smoke and he's gone and they don't investigate. And we don't see him killing the stagehand. We just see the stagehand drop in from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't see those things, so it's a little more ambiguous that, like, mm-hmm. he could be just, like, magic. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's that he actually does magic on Christine, and that's what makes her all weird and spelly. So it's a little easier to push away the fact that, like, he's a bad guy because he might not be a guy. He might, he might be, be a ghost, you yeah. know? It might I, not. I'm on board with that. I yeah. think that... I think that as with most of the things that we have seen, if you and I saw it in person in theater, I would probably have a very different experience um, and feel differently about it than I feel watching it in the comfort of my home, where I feel like I could be doing a number of other things other than paying attention to this, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, like what you're feeling though, like it's correct. Like it's, yeah. a, it's a flaw of the show. Yeah, um, it's, it's a very beautiful music, beautiful scenery uh, running on Broadway for a really long time. Problematic. It's very problematic. I cannot believe that it's like was running on, is running on Broadway. I guess well, Broadway is not really running, but like. But like, it's not in any, like the, sh- the Broadway shutdown has been closing of, down shows and yeah. I don't, Phantom won't, it's, it's going to be fine. That's wild to me. There's just got to be something bigger and better that can take its place like why is this the classic archetype of like I I truly think this is like an epitome of theater this is as you said theater history musical history and while I think it definitely has its place and a lot of the songs like they are squarely old timing times and the 80s and that is a bop I just think it's not of this time and we're ready for something new you know yeah I do know the other notes that I had, um, Matt really admired all the octave jumps, and I told you every time, and you were like, Matt is fucking correct. And I think that's pretty much it. It was, overall, loved it. Loved the production aspect of it. Didn't like the characters or the plot. Yeah, that's a common thing that I know that you're going to feel and that I also feel, and it's a mm-hmm. lot of why I pick the things that I pick yeah. for us to watch, mm-hmm. where it is a great production of mm-hmm. shitty material. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, kind of important to be able to know the difference. They're yeah. like, this script is garbage, but everybody did a good job. Yeah. Versus like, 
this is bad directing. This was a yeah. good show, but it was bad. You know, it yeah. was a bad production of a good script. Yeah. It's fun to figure out, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that's something that, like, I have I noticed in my enjoyment that I really appreciate interesting productions of things. And I really note, like, costume choices, lighting choices, um, and, like, how that affects my enjoyment of stuff. Because, like, I think a very good example of poor production of a pretty good show and not necessarily production but poor recording I guess is a very Potter musical where the watching of it is almost so poor that it negates my intention of watching it it like makes me not want to watch it you know yeah yeah um, and like the production of it, I think is actually really good where they have a lot of like funny props that are intended to be spoofy but the way in which it's presented is not particularly enjoyable. And so it changes how I feel about it, you know? Yeah. Tell me your stage manager, like, feelings on the show. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> um, they must, those stage managers at that opera house must make fucking bank. Um, they must either make fucking bank. And it, my guess is that it's either one person that they just always hire back who, like, gets it. Or they go through them constantly. Because it just, it's, it, it it would be a joke. It would be a joke of a job. You know, you could do everything right. But if you've got a, a guy that comes in and unties shit and kills people on your stage, and then you have managers that come in and say, oh, sorry, someone just died. Um, Hang tight for 10 minutes. We're just going to jump to the ballet in act three. That made me so angry. Like, I know it did. And I was just like... <laughs> Are they, but that's ruining, in my mind, I was like, as a viewer, that's ruining that ballet for later. I'm not going to get to see it in its context and know that it's for the first time and how I want it to be. That's such a disappointment. But also for something that is that high budget, because clearly super high budget, if they've got like sheep and all sorts of like fly systems and shit mm -hmm. coming in and out, you not only have the stage manager, but you'll probably have like three stage managers. And then under that, you probably have three or four assistant stage managers who are in the wings who are responsible for safety. So just jumping in, wildly, wildly irresponsible. That is how people die without a ghost intervening, you know, by <laughs> mm -hmm. jumping into set changes without giving the proper cues. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that they did not give the proper cues because they were all over the fucking place and tripping over each other. Wildly irresponsible. There should have been like, enjoy the ballet. And then we would need like three seconds for the stage manager to be like, hold, let's all jump to the queue. There are so many like flies go, systems go. This is such a high budget production. I feel like the audience who are going to buy tickets are going to be like, listen, I know we paid for this, but if you like, I'd rather see, have you take 10 minutes and have an intermission than see a put together weird thing that's going to spoil the show for me later on like get 10 minutes is not a lot of time to, to remove a dead body yeah and it's, <laughs> it's just not that much time to like make people sit in their seats without watching something you know and they're like give us 10 minutes also if there's murder on the stage if a dead body fell from the ceiling and especially because they didn't make any attempt to hide it they were just <laughs> like oh an accident you end the show you cancel it you tell everybody to go home yeah. Um, you do not stay in their seats. You refund everybody. Show's over. Um, yeah. The stage manager should have called it. That's just how it is. Um, but I have actually been, I once was, I wasn't the stage manager. I was a script assistant at like a big regional theater in my hometown. 
And there was one invited dress rehearsal. It wasn't a full show, but it was the last show before opening night where we had a pretty sizable audience watching. It was an invited dress. Um, and there was an earthquake during the show, um, like kind of a bad one. And we had a lot of, it was uh, in Southern California where earthquakes happen, but there were a lot of actors and crew members that were from New York who had never experienced an earthquake before. Um, and if you've never experienced an earthquake before, even if it's not like a bad one, it was enough where things were shaking and set pieces yeah. were shaking yeah. and they freaked out. Yeah. And the stage manager got on the God mic, like they're especially big budget theaters. I know they probably had a God mic at this opera house, which is just a mic that is like hooks up to so that everyone can hear. It's probably the mic that the fan of the opera was speaking on when he was well, how, what are ancient sound systems like? Because, like, was the gramophone even a thing in the 1870s? I'm sure it was, actually. Probably not. But, but, the, but like, the volume in which the Phantom was speaking at that time, that's what a god mic does. It's hooked yeah. up in the sound booth that the stage manager has so that the stage manager can speak to everybody from the booth. Mm -hmm. um, and the stage manager just said, like, she said, hold, please, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick, uh, we're going to hold for just a second while the earthquake passes. And then she was able to, like, leave the booth and go and make sure that everybody was okay. And we held the show for about 10 minutes and we got it. That's how you do that. Like, the stage, like, the managers should never be making that call. That's a stage mm -hmm. manager call because the stage manager is in charge of safety. And then after that call was made, then the managers could get in there and address the people in the house. But you gotta, you got, you, it, oh my God, it was such a nightmare. It was such a stage managing nightmare, that whole sequence. Um, yeah. Not canceling the show and then just like arbitrarily picking a random point in the show and just jumping into it with no stage management intervention. Whew, nightmare. You could not pay yeah. me enough money to work at that theater. Um, I probably could pay you enough money to work at that theater, but I could probably only pay enough money one time to work at that theater. Yeah. And then someone would die and I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, give me my million dollars right now. Yeah. You threaten my life, I'll sue you. But yeah, that's, I don't really think I have that much more. I, I feel like the entire time we texted, it was just about costume. It was about poor choices of, like, the characters. And I just, I just don't agree with, like, any single choice made by any of the characters. And I just, that's it. That's all, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do like ending on the button that it is a good production of questionable material yes yeah i think that that is um that is very evident and like if you are someone who like enjoys a good headpiece they're all throughout the fucking show the the costume the set design everything about this is is spot on all the actors are like they're acting so hard Some yeah of the lip syncing is so bad <laughs> yeah so bad but you know it achieves its goal and i understand why it was made I don't necessarily understand all of the casting choices, but like, I get it. I get, I get where it lives in, in history, you know? Yeah. The one casting choice that I don't understand is Jared Butler. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't pick someone who could just sing better. I don't know why he was the pull at that time. Um, he did fine. He could have done a lot worse, um, but they could have gotten somebody who did better. He, it was like notable enough for Matt to be like, this is really bad. Like, I mean, I will not watch this again. I will not listen to this again. I remember watching it back in the day and being like, he's garbage. Um, but then now that I've seen A, the Cats movie and B, uh, the Les Miserables movie, the Les Mis movie, which are mm -hmm. two absolutely absurdly terrible movies, both coincidentally directed by the same guy, both directed by Tom Hooper, who maybe 
musicals are not his game. <laughs> Maybe he should get out of that game. Uh, I um, think you're going to have a hard time persuading him at this point. <laughs> he is a monster, um, but we'll talk about it when I definitely make you watch Cats. Because I know you've seen the Cats movie, but I'm going to make you watch- I have not seen the Cats movie. I have not seen the Cats movie. <gasps> oh my God. Are we going to have a special? I am at some point going to make you watch the staged movie, like the version that's just like the pro shot stage mm-hmm. show, and then compare it with the fucking movie that just came out last um, year. Yeah, I know that when we get to Cats, we'll talk about it, but Alana has so much to say about this movie, and when you saw it, you called me immediately, and you were like, I have to tell you every single thing that I think about this movie. I am extremely um, passionate about Cats. We'll get to it, but I have <laughs> I have an extremely strong stance. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me, is I think my attitude coming into this podcast was I hate musicals and then you and I have had this discussion before we were like well you don't hate all musicals you just hate bad musicals and you've just seen a lot of bad musicals yeah and it's interesting because so far I feel like I I feel like personally I don't have an in-between stance of musicals I either love them or I hate them but for the most part I just don't care about them like they're not if it's not if it's not a hard yes, it's a hard no, is how I, like, try to live a lot of my life, and so that's why I think I thought I hated musicals, is because just a lot of them don't hit that, like, I love it for me, and a lot of them hit parts of I love it, but also parts of I hate it, and then cancels it out to eh, and that's just not, (laughs) that's not worth dedicating my life to, you know? Yeah, I do know. Although, if we get success in this, I will dedicate my life to it. (laughs) All right. Is that, is that it for Fan of the Opera? I think so. Cool. That's well, thank you for listening to another episode of It's Broadway, bitch. <laughs> um, we're going to record an outro and we'll tag that on. Yeah. You're welcome for listening to It's Broadway, bitch. If you like what we had to say, then please like, rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you have thoughts, feelings, opinions, or stories about theater or what we talked about, you can email us at itsbroadwaybitch at gmail.com. That itsbroadwaybitch with no I in bitch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at itsbroadwaybitch, no I in bitch. And you can follow me, Christina, at chit and chat for pictures of my cats on Instagram. And you can follow me, Alana, on Instagram and Twitter at Alana Fine Woman, like Feynman, but I'm a lady. Special thanks to Katie Braverman for designing our cover art and Jack Larkin for making our theme music. You can follow them at katie.braverman and at jacksterlark on Instagram and check out the episode's description for links. I'm Alana. I'm the Broadway. I'm Christina. I'm the bitch. And we'll see you next time. It's 